Excellent, thank you. Well, we've come to the end of our uh, series on 1 Corinthians uh, at this stage. Anyway, I think we'll probably revisit uh, the book maybe at another time when we spend a bit more time on some of the chapters because there's, there is so much uh, in the book and, uh, and it's difficult in a short space of time for the various speakers to have uh, been across all that they needed to be. Uh, however, um, today we're, we're looking at chapter 15 and it's the last in the series. Chapter 15 is the longest chapter in the book and uh, we're going to uh, look at, uh, at what it has to say to us but I particularly want us to be thinking about uh, what the future holds for us, for those of us that love God, that have trusted in Jesus as our Saviour and uh, we have a glorious hope to look forward to and that's what we want to be thinking about, sharing about today. As I uh, prepared, I, I, I read what other people had to say. I've read and reread uh, lots of uh, scripture about the subject and uh, listened to what other people have shared and so on. And, uh, and the one thing I've discovered is that most people uh, are thinking in the same way. So there is nothing new under the sun. There are lots and lots of people that are looking forward to the coming of the Lord and, uh, and it, will, it will indeed be a wonderful time. Uh, Paul's words in uh, chapter 15 divide in equally into perhaps two areas. Uh, verses 1 to 34 deal with the reality and the certainty of the resurrection and 35 down to, 30, uh, to 58 explain the resurrection, how it's possible and discuss the nature of the resurrected, our resurrected bodies. The Corinthian church, it would seem, uh, had uh, come to believe in a life after death without a bodily resurrection and uh, this might have been at the heart of why Paul spent the time that he did dealing with this. The chapter could be called lots of different things. You could call it facts for faith, uh, victory over death, uh, what happens when you die or the dead will be raised imperishable. There's, there's lots of terms that you could give to explain what uh, Paul is talking about in this chapter. I want you to think for a moment about a holiday that you went on or a trip that you've done. Now, uh, Carolyn and Stuart are just back from a very long trip overseas. Uh, Desi and Sam recently did a trip uh, and uh, I see Robin and uh, Brendan have moved from New Zealand to Australia and, uh, and live here now and I'm sure that for all of these people there would have been a fair bit of planning going into the trip that they were going to take. Whether they were relocating or whether they were just doing a holiday there would have been some thought given to it, some planning and so on. Uh, you know, uh, they'd want to, want to know what the place was going to be like. They'd want to know what they needed to take to be ready and so on. Uh, what's surprising and probably tragic really is that most of us give more attention to the holiday that we're going to take than where we're going to go in the future. We spend more time concerned about the activities of, of, of here and now and very little time thinking really about what the future is going to hold and uh, where we're heading as God's people. Because if we did it would make a big difference to how we prepared for that place that we're heading to. Uh, but unfortunately we don't. I want to ask you today, do you know with the absolute confidence that Tracy uh, shared with us earlier 
that if she dies, she knows exactly what's going to happen. She doesn't understand how it's all going to happen, but she knows that she will go to be with Jesus. That's the important thing. We want you to be clear about that today, that you know with a surety what will happen once a person dies if they are trusting in Jesus. In the first few verses uh, of chapter 58, Paul declares that the gospel is trustworthy and it's at the heart of our faith. Paul has a great confidence in the gospel uh, message because Christ's death and resurrection is prophetically and it's historically verifiable. In verses 3 to 5, he clearly and succinctly shows us what the gospel is. Um, the, let me read that again. Desi read it to us, but let's just uh, look again at 3 to 5. Probably today is a good thing to have the iPad or the phone or the Bible open because there are lots and lots of scriptures and if I get it wrong then you will know and be able to tell us as we move around. Now verse 3 says, For what I received I passed on to you of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to to Peter and to the twelve. Here are the Here's the succinct fact of the gospel. Christ died for our sins and that's at the heart of the gospel message. Christ was buried and he spent three days in the tomb. He died and he spent three days in the tomb. He was raised, he's no longer in the grave and he was seen and Paul verified that in verse 5 by Peter. He appeared to Peter, he appeared to the apostles and we know he appeared to many, many other people too. My question is, do you believe that great fact of the faith today that Jesus died, that he was crucified, that he paid the penalty of our sin and for those who place their faith and trust in him, it says if we believe in our heart and we acknowledge him, we will be saved. And, uh, and that goes so much to the heart of knowing, having confidence about the resurrection. There are many ways... Um, that we could break up the chapter and many themes that we could take from it today Uh, but I want to focus on the last part of the chapter today. We know from 2 Corinthians 5 and 4 that Paul had a preference about living and dying. Um, Paul's first preference was that uh, he would not die but that he would be alive at the time that Jesus returned. So Paul in the first century was hoping that he would, uh, he would be one who would actually not go through death and, and have his body and soul separated, but that Jesus would return and take him home. That would be his first preference and what he would prefer. He hoped uh, Christ would return before he died so that he wouldn't have to go through death. But Paul knows that he, he, he cannot know or control when Jesus returns. So his second option would be to die and to be with Christ. And 2 Corinthians 5 and 8, we have that. Let me read that to you. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 8 says this, uh, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. 
he would prefer to be dead and with Christ than to be to have to put up with all of the the struggles and the difficulties and and so on of life, the sin and the sickness and all of those other things. He says in 1 Philippians uh, 1 and 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what he thought. He was convinced that for him um, to live is Christ but to die is gain. He thought that dying was far better. So he, if, if he wasn't going to be alive when Jesus returned, then he wanted to, to die and be with Christ because he considered that to be far better. He has a struggle going on and uh, the need to be here for the sake of ministry and uh, against the longing to be done with the struggles of life and to be with Christ. So if Paul had a, a choice in the matter, he would rather if Christ's return is delayed, he would rather then die and be with Christ. And then finally, his third preference is that if Jesus does not return and take him home while he's alive or if he does not take him home now by Paul dying, then he knows that he is to remain and continue to being true and faithful until either Jesus returns and he's taken up by death into the presence of the Lord. Paul's focus was on what is ahead Our focus, unfortunately, in life is so often about what is happening today and we don't have the same sort of focus. Can I ask how is your focus today about looking forward to the future with Christ or occupied so much with what happens now? Is death to you the gain that Paul thought that death would be? Paul thought that death for him was going to be a wonderful thing because that would take him into the presence of the Lord. Colossians 3, 2 says this, it reminds us that we are to set our minds, our focus on things that are above. Philippians uh, 3 and 20 reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven and Philippians 1, 21 reminds us that there is more gain in death for the Christian than in life. Now the question, are you ready to leave this world today or are you so comfortable that it would be a problem to go? Now there's the natural parting, the sadness, the difficulties, the issues of family and friends and all of those things. I know that and I understand that. But Paul could look beyond that and know that if he was to die that would be far better. Do you love the Lord deeply, longing for when he will be, you will be with him? If we did, it would affect how we live today. If we loved the Lord in that manner that gave the passion that Paul had for this, it would affect how we live today. It would have an impact because everything that we would do today would we, with that end view in mind, and we would, be, we would be looking forward to the time we were with Christ. So when we were tempted to do this or that, there would be this, this conflict going on all the time seeking to want to do the right thing because we know how that would impact what the future is going to be like. We don't talk much about uh, the second coming today um, but I think it would be helpful if we thought more about it than we do. 
The hope of the resurrection does not have to have the same place of power and centrality in the churches today that it did even when I was growing up. I think as a young person I remember regular preaching on on the second coming of Christ and what it was going to be like and why that should impact the way that we live today and how we ought to act and so on. Um, But it doesn't, for for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to be there today. And maybe another time we we as a church should should look at some of those things and spend some more time uh, just thinking about the, the, the future that we have and how that should impact how we live today. When the church in Thessalonica lost believing loved ones, the main comfort Paul offered them was not that, they, that their loved ones were with Christ, as true and wonderful as that is, but that they would be raised bodily from the dead uh, in a time to participate physically in the coming of the Lord. Go over to 1 Thessalonians and uh, have a look. 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 15 says this, According to the Lord's own words, um, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. We who are alive and remain at the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep means that they've died, they're dead. But we will not precede those people at the coming of the Lord when they are resurrected. What does precede mean? Precede in that sense is explained really in the next few verses in in verse 16 to 18 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. First is the key word. They will rise first so that is why we will not precede them because those who have already died, they will be raised from the grave first before those who are left alive when Jesus returns go up to meet him in the air. Now we may say we will not precede them because they're already with the Lord. Now that would only be to think in terms of heaven. They got there first by leaving their bodies, yes, but their bodies are still in the grave and God is still not done with their bodies. But that's not what Paul says here, as true as it is, that is not the main hope or the main comfort for us as Christians or for the church at Thessalonica. What Paul says is this, we will not precede them for, the fir- for they will rise first, not because they go to heaven first, which is true, but because they will be raised first. Can you, can you start to see where Paul is trying to take the picture? He's trying to make them understand that God is not done with the body. So this body that we have when we die, God is not done with it. It's not finished. And that's a very important thing to remember and to understand. In other words, Paul is not thinking mainly of heaven far away, but of the glory that will happen here on earth when Christ returns. Their bodies will not be left in the grave while we who are alive have the joy of meeting the Lord in the air. They won't stay in the grave while we are changed in the twinkling of an eye 
or clothe, and clothe with immortality? No. First um, Thessalonians 4 says the dead in Christ will rise first. Then and only then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. Not before them, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and thus we will always be with the Lord. What does with the Lord mean? Paul means with the one whom because of the resurrection we can see and hear and touch with our bodies, with eyes and hands and ears, something like we have now. But we know that body will be different because we know that Jesus' resurrected body was different. We know that he could, he could appear here and then there and he could seemingly pass through things. Don't ask me to understand how it happens but this is what Paul is trying to help the people understand that it is going to take place. That's our hope, to be with the risen Christ with a body like his glorious body. Our final state is not some disjointed, dismembered state in a distant heaven. It's to reign with Christ here on a renewed earth. This is the hope we can comfort one another with. Philippians 3.21 says this, The Lord Jesus, who by the power, and that power is like dynamite, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. That's what Philippians tells us, of what Paul was teaching. Jesus has the power to be able to do that. Now, let's focus on just the last part of the chapter from verse 50 on. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Well, what does that mean? Is that a denial of the bodily bodily resurrection? No. Flesh and blood (coughs) simply means human nature as we know it now. Our mortal, perishable, sinned, stained, decaying bodies. Um, Something that is temporary and fragile as the body that we now have will not be suitable for the eternal, durable, um, indestructible kingdom that God is going to establish. But that does not mean that we will not have bodies. It means that our bodies will be greater but they will be our bodies. I don't understand, Brett, exactly how it's going to work but that body that you have, this body that I have, God is going to do something with this. We will either die and go into the grave or if we died in the ocean, maybe the fish or something would eat us and there's nothing left so there's a problem to think about for a minute. The worms might get us if we're left in the ground for a long period of time. If Jesus returns... Paul's first preference was that he would not experience that, that he would just go up into heaven and, and to be with, to meet Jesus in the air. However, we know that God is going to do something with these bodies and he's going to make them even more wonderful and he's going to be able to bring all of those molecules back together again 
and uh, for those who love the Lord and have died, this is a great hope. Verse 52 tells us, in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed in the twinkling of an eye. I looked up what that was. In the twinkling of an eye is not a blink, it says. It is literally the smallest amount of time of which there is no smaller. In the most finite, it is in the most finite unit of time we will be changed. Science calls it a nanosecond. And they tell me that a microsecond is one millionth of a second and a nanosecond is one hundred thousandth of a microsecond. In the twinkling of an eye, God is going to, the trumpet will sound and, and we will be called up if we are still alive, if it happens today and if it doesn't happen today and we die, we, Christ will rise, raise our bodies but it will happen very, very, very quickly. So you won't have time to think about it. David and I were talking earlier and he said, you know, he always had this confidence that if a dear old soul was gone, then he would know the Lord had returned and he might be in trouble. But I want to tell you that we will not know that because it will happen so quickly, so quickly. And that's why it's so important to be prepared because we don't have any idea when Christ will return. It could be before the service finishes today. It ha- there is every chance that that could happen. But it could be 2,000 years from now. We do not know. But we certainly are encouraged to be ready. And, uh, and so Paul, that's why Paul is, is challenging them about this. When Paul says the dead will be raised, he means the dead will be raised. If God intended to start over with no continuity between the body that I have now and the one that I would have, will have, why would he say the dead will be raised? Why not the dead will not be raised since they're decomposed in the grave or eaten by worms or animals or whatever's happened with the passing of time? Uh, There's nothing left in the grave after a long period of time. Their molecules are scattered into the plants and the animals eat the plants and then we kill the animals and eat the animals and so the cycle goes on and on and on and on and on. But trust me, in God's economy, nothing is wasted. So he has no problem about knowing where the molecules are. We, we don't understand how that could be possible, but God knows. We might say their molecules are scattered so God will have to start over since there are no bodies to raise. He will make totally new bodies that have no connection to the old bodies. He did not say that because that is not true. That is not true. He said two things. The dead will be raised and that teaches a continuity. And he says, they will be changed, they will be made imperishable and immortal. This old body will become a new body, but it will be your body. How can it be? God is God. If God could speak worlds into existence, 
if Luke 12 and 7 says that God, the hairs of our head are numbered and as I look around and I see myself, there's a lot of them that are gone and we often say, well, it's not so hard for God to keep account of them but you know that God knows He he knows the right number. Don't worry about that, Arthur. He knows how many were there. (laughs) You got five left. (laughs) God knows. That's why it's possible for God to collect all of those molecules that have disappeared in the grave and so on and, and he can make our bodies new because God is God. I don't understand about it but I believe it. John Piper told a story about his mother on this theme and it made me think about my mother. My mother loved the Lord. She's in the grave in Ballarat. I know that because I was there when the casket was lowered into the grave. I know she's there. But that's her body. And God has not done with that body yet. And God will raise that body again in a coming day. And that is a great hope we have for our loved ones that have gone before. God will raise them up in a coming day and he is not finished with that body. It will be a changed body as verse 51 suggests. The resurrection is not described in terms of a totally new creation but in terms of a change of the old creation. And again, let me emphasise what verse 51 says. 51 reminds us that we will be changed. Listen, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep but we will all be changed changed. Look at verse 37 and 38. Paul compares the resurrection of what happens when a seed goes into the ground. Verse 37 and 38, when you sow you do not plant the body that will be but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. And verse 38, but God gives it a body as he has determined and to each kind of seed He gives it its own body. The point is there is a connection and a continuity between the simple seed and the end result, the beautiful plant that comes. And when you plant a wheat seed, you don't get a barley plant. You get wheat. Um, But note, there is a difference. A plant is more appealing than the seed. I was thinking of a little acorn and you get a small little acorn but you end up with a great big oak tree. There's a continuity. The seed goes and dies but then the tree comes and and there is a continuity too in what God is going to do with our bodies. Verse 42 down to 44 apply the analogy to the resurrected body. So it will be with with the resurrection of the dead The body that is sown perishable will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonour, it will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it will be be raised in power. Verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it will be raised a spiritual body. Uh, 
Why does it matter? What's so important about our bodies? Some people might say, don't worry about it, I'm done with the body, I'm over it, I don't want the sickness, I don't want the problems. All that matters are the spiritual realities of love and joy and peace and all of those wonderful things. Um, what's, what's all the fuss about arms and legs and hair and eyes and ears and tongues? It seems so earthly. But remember, the physical universe exists to glorify God. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. I think I've got the right reference. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Yeah, I'll get to that in a minute. I'm a bit ahead of myself. God did not create the physical universe... Uh, ad hoc he had a reason namely to add to the ways his glory is externalised and made manifest the heavens declare the glory of God the skies tell us of the glory of God that's why he made them and your body fits into the category of physical things created for this reason he's not going back out of his plan to glorify himself through human beings and human bodies and those verses in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 say this Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God you are not not your own, verse 20 tells us you were bought with a price therefore honour God with your body. Why does God bother to go back to all the trouble to why does he bother to go to all this trouble to re-establish your body and clothe it with immortality because Jesus paid an enormous price for us that's why it matters because his son paid the price of his life so God could be glorified in your body forever Jesus died for you You were bought with a price and we are told we should therefore glorify God with our bodies. uh, uh, Chapter 15 verse 56 tells us the sting of death is sin but Christ bore the curse of sin. The power of sin is the law and verse uh, verse 56 says but Christ satisfied the demands of the law. Death it says, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? You know when Christ died on the cross, he did away with the sting of death and all death can do now is flash around on the floor without any sting left. It's not done away with completely yet but Christ took the power out of, the sting out of death and there is no, there's no sting in it, there's certainly no fear in it for us who love the Lord and, uh, and who are looking forward to his return. Therefore, Paul declares in verse 57, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Christ died, he forgave sin and fulfilled the law and defeated death 
and obtained not just our souls but our bodies. Therefore God will honour the work of his son by raising your body from the dead and you will use your body to glorify God, him forever and ever. That is why you have a body now and that is why it will be raised imperishable. Verse 56 is one of those great therefore verses. If all this resurrection stuff is true, and it is, stand true to what you know to be right and that should impact the way that you live now and the way that we live out our Christian faith. If it is true that we are going to live life in the hereafter, if it is true that there's going to be an eternal kingdom, if it is true that only treasures laid up in heaven will matter, if it is true that the kingdom is everything, then you'd better start living and working for the kingdom because that's the only thing that's going to be eternal, the only thing that's going to count. But unfortunately we often lose ourselves, don't we, in the petty things of this world and the worry about, about where the next dollar's going to come from or where the job is or what we're going to do or this or what's going to happen and we get all tied up in those things and we lose sight of the fact that soon and very soon we're going to see the King. Andre Crouch penned that song, Soon and Very Soon We're Going to See the King. I asked Rachel if we knew it and she said, oh no, that's a very old one. Then I had a look and it was, he did it in 1978 so it's not all that old compared to the ones that are done back in 16 or 17 or 18 centuries. But, uh, but he was right and he says there'll be no more crying there, there'll be no more dying there. We're going to see the King. Hallelujah we're going to see the King. So we can have great confidence today as God's people. We don't understand how this is all going to pan out and I, as Rob alluded earlier, we, we don't understand how God is going to remake this stuff, this body, but he is not done with us and he has not created this universe to just discard stuff and throw it away. As a little side issue to it, you know, when you consider what God intends for our bodies, it makes you realise that when, and I'm not particularly fond of greenies, but when they are trying to, um, they're trying to make us look after the planet that we have, it does bring home a thought that we have a responsibility. This is, this is something God has created to bring glory to him and, and we go and abuse it. And we do the same with our bodies. But, but we need to be just mindful of these things. Soon and very soon we're going to see the King. Hallelujah. Let's pray. And after prayer you're free to come and share morning tea with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is truth. We believe that and many of us would acknowledge that growing up we just believed things because we were told and we accepted them in faith but as we get older and we think about these things we are so glad that you have a plan and a purpose for what is going to happen ahead and you have told us there will be a day when Jesus will return we are told to watch and to be ready we are told to live our lives in in anticipation of his return and that should affect how we live.
We are told that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit and Father, help us to be so much more careful about what we do with them and where we take them and what we allow them to do. Father, help us as we go today to just have great confidence, those who have gone before, loved ones, if they loved you, Father, we know we're going to, we're going to, they're going to be raised and, and there's going to be a, a wonderful hope for them and for us. So, Father, just uh, dismiss us with your blessing and help us to reflect on how good it is to have a God that has a master plan that is being fulfilled. Help us to be patient with your timeline, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.